The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. Hello, and welcome to Know the Score. I'm your host, Don DeLorente, and I'm joined by my co-host, the Libra icon, Dwayne. How you doing, Dwayne? Doing well. Happy Thanksgiving to all the listeners, and enjoy the food, enjoy the football. Well, two-thirds of the football, anyway. (laughs) And let's get into it. Yes, eat, drink, and be merry uh, this Thanksgiving holiday um with your immediate closest loved ones try not to spread the virus by visiting this one and that one please wear your mask if you are deciding to go house hopping but uh, i would strongly recommend against it uh, know the score yeah. is a part of the cspn you can find us on the web at cspn.us you can also subscribe to the podcast through itunes soundcloud radio all the usual suspects all you have to do is search for KTS Pod dash the CSPN. All right, Dwayne, we're going to start off this week with college football. Big news that just broke earlier in the day of this recording is that Nick Saban has tested positive for COVID 19. Uh, this is the real deal this time. Last time it was a false positive, but they're saying that he has shown some mild symptoms of being affected by the virus and he is being ruled out of this weekend's game against Auburn, the Iron Bowl. Uh, Nick Saban's going to have to be in isolation for about 10 days. So if everything goes as planned, he'll be ready to coach next week uh, in next week's game. But uh, just first and foremost, how do you feel that the lack of having Nick Saban on the sidelines is going to affect Auburn in this rivalry game coming up on Saturday? Uh, it's going to probably have little – sort of have an effect because, uh, you know, that's going to be on the back of the players' minds. But I think that – I think that these kids are focused enough to – put that aside for a few hours, uh, get through the game. Um, if I'm Auburn, I try to take advantage of it, try to try to uh, get them out their game and leave them a little shell shock to see what happens. But if Alabama, if the staff is anything that I think they are, Saban has a staff prepared uh, for this game, you know, they're not going to be, you know, Nick Saban himself, but they will be okay. But it's going to have an impact, and I will probably tune in and try to see how much of an impact this will really have on them. Yeah, uh, Steve, Steve, start, Steve. Steve Startesian, yeah, easy for me to say, is going to uh, take over and be the coach uh, for this weekend. Uh, you know, he was a coach at uh, Washington, 
and uh, USC prior to this. So he's got head coaching experience, so that shouldn't be a problem as far as, you know, coming up with the game plan and things like that. Um, so it'll be very interesting to see what happens this weekend. Nick Saban out on the sideline for uh, Alabama in a rivalry game where anything can happen and usually does. So, um, yeah, it's going to be a must-watch on Saturday just for just to see how Alabama reacts uh, to not having their coach on the sideline. Uh, the college football, the first playoff poll came out to determine uh, who's going to be playing for the national championship later in the uh, year. And the top four are as follows. We have Alabama number one, Notre Dame number two, Clemson number three, and Ohio State rounds out the top four. Uh, Dwayne, do you have any issues with the teams or the order in which they are in for our first college football playoff poll of the year? Uh, Not really. I think this is pretty much the status quo. Kind of surprised that, um, you know, Notre Dame isn't – a factor in that top four, or were they number two, right? Yes, sir. Oh, never mind then. Okay, they're ahead of Clemson, so that's the main thing. I, that's why I wanted to – I missed that Notre Dame part, I guess, trying to subliminally block them out or whatever. But um, I think Clemson kind of generous because their loss was without uh, Trevor Lawrence. So that – kind of factored in. Uh, but, yeah, it's really basically the what you expect. Um, Texas A&M, uh, part of the first uh, team out in Florida. Um, so everything, no surprises there. Of course, you know, rivalry weekend is coming up, so a lot of – a lot of shakeups could happen in these uh, in the playoff rankings, but with the uniqueness of the season, uh, it's going to be a very very difficult thing to kind of what's the word I'm looking for? It's a very it's going to be very difficult to see how it all plays out, especially with the uniqueness of this this season. Yeah, um, you know. The unevenness in games played is going to be a big factor. Um, You know, the ACC has played more games than any other conference thus far. They've had less games uh, uh, taken away by, you know, uh, positive tests. Uh, Whereas a team like Ohio State, they're going to be lucky if they get their six in. You know, so um, I think that's going to be a big factor this year. It's just that big disparity and games played. How do you, it's not going to be that even playing field we usually have to weigh everybody's, you know, schedule on. Um, so it's definitely going to be about who you beat and who you lose to and how bad of a loss it is, especially uh, here towards the end of the season coming into the conference uh, championship games. Um, you're definitely going to not want to lose in the next couple of weeks if you're Notre Dame, Alabama, or Ohio State. Uh, Clemson, 
I don't think people are expecting them to lose anymore. They've got a chance uh, if they get to the ACC championship game to re- to revenge that loss against Notre Dame, and could possibly you know put them back into a number two position or a number three position depending on what happens with Ohio State. Uh, speaking of Ohio State, they got a scare from Indiana, but they held on to win forty two to thirty five. Uh, Justin Fields did not have a good game. Uh, statistically, uh, he was not very good. He was like 18 for like 35. He had like three interceptions. Um, there was the running game and some timely turnovers by the defense uh, that really uh, brought this game home for uh, Ohio State. But Indiana, I think, is the real story. A lot of people had doubts, thought they were just a nice little cute story. But Indiana proved that, no, that they are the real deal. Their quarterback is very good. Their offense is explosive. And they were able to, you know, stand in there with Ohio State and slug away with them for a majority of that game. Yeah, I was actually colored me surprised. I I was kind of one of those people who thought it was just a nice little feel-good story. Then the hammer was going to be laid down, but um, – Got to give that defense of Ohio State a lot of credit. Uh, the running game really took a lot off of Justin Fields. Uh, like you said, he was not not good at all. Um, I thought it was very you know disappointing for all the things he has done uh, in the last uh, few seasons. But uh, the Hoosiers are definitely – uh, they're definitely not just any kind of Cinderella story. I really hope this is something they can build going forward. Uh, this is a this is a big time school and a big time conference, so I, I really hope there is a level of consistency that and sustained success. Uh, we do want to see you know teams kind of rise to the top here, so. Uh, if you know, we know IU's always been that basketball school, but you know, they really have made strides in the football program, and I really hope this is something that can uh, be sustained going forward, especially with uh, Michigan State kind of falling back to the pack, and even uh, Michigan falling back to the pack. So, a team had to step. And, you know, why not Indiana at this point? Again, uh, Justin Fields um, struggling with the uh, coverage, the umbrella, the two deep coverage, quarters coverage. Um, Ohio State, uh, like you said, was able to take advantage, though, and go to the running game. And that's what really kind of got them going. Um, But, yes, uh, a lot of people were very disappointed and a lot of uh, draft stock was lost by Justin Fields uh, in that game based off that performance. Uh, So definitely be uh, something interesting going forward to see how he improves uh, with the handful of games left against those, uh, you know, little bit better defenses and teams that have that talent that can play at those coverages and not, um, you know, 
go into the cover ones and the cover threes, which he's much better at reading and getting the ball out quick and making those decisions. So um, definitely something to continue to look at for Justin Fields going forward. Um, next up, we had in the Big Ten as well, Northwestern gets to 5-0 and as they got a win over Wisconsin, 17-7. to um, I don't think anybody had Northwestern in the pool for still being undefeated uh, this late into their season, but they're here. And it looks like that they're going to have a chance to set up to have a showdown against Ohio State and see what they can do here in a couple of weeks as well. Yeah, I did not see Northwestern, the fighting Pat Fitzgeralds, if he's still the head coach. Yes, Um, he is. All right, yeah, so the fighting Pat Fitzgeralds. Former linebacker. Yeah, so this is definitely, I know Northwestern has had, you know, their ups and downs, but didn't expect them to, you know, be at this point in the uh, in the football season at 5-0. and This is a good story. Um, I really wonder how they will match up against the Buckeyes being that being that um, you know Indiana gave them a scare if they can do if they can do some schemes that that can emulate what the Hoosiers did uh, with Justin Fields and if they can take care of the ball which is which was the downfall of Indiana then you know, we could definitely be seeing upset. Um, I would definitely be here for the chaos. You know, I'm always here for the chaos. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, Ohio State losing um, this season would definitely cause a lot of chaos because a lot of people have basically said this schedule was set up in a way for them to just have a cakewalk into the college football playoff. So if it was a uh, you know, uh, a Northwestern team that tripped them up, that definitely would be something that was unforeseen. And, uh, yeah, it would cause a lot of chaos in this year's college football world. Um, marquee matchups for this week. It is rivalry weekend, but there's only a couple of top 25 matchups. We're going to have Notre Dame coming down to Chapel Hill to visit North Carolina. Uh, a lot of people are highly excited in this area about this game. Number two team in the country coming down to the triangle to play uh, a team in North Carolina that people had a lot of aspirations and hope for. They have two bad losses on their record, Florida State and Virginia, but they have a chance here to upset the apple cart, send Notre Dame uh, away with their first loss and really put themselves uh, back on the map in the you know second year of Mac Brown, this will be their you know defining you know win of the second Mac Brown era so far. If they could get this win over number two Notre Dame this week, uh, actually on Friday, Friday at three thirty, they're going to play that game. And then, like we mentioned earlier, Auburn and Alabama and the Iron Bowl that's going to take place this Saturday. Uh, no Nick Saban. Um, you know, we've all we, we've seen some crazy things happen when we thought Alabama was going to be the clear winner, kind of like people are thinking this year. But kick know. six. 
yes, anything can happen in these rivalry games. So, you know, everybody will be tuned in, especially with the, you know, Nick Saban not on the sideline being a major factor uh, this weekend. I think a lot of people are going to be intrigued on uh, how Alabama looks and, and how they play and, and how that game goes. Um, so good luck to uh, all the teams this week. Rivalry weekend. Have fun. Um, don't do anything stupid in the end zone to cost your team a win uh, like old boy from Mississippi State did last year. Elijah Moore. <laughs> or Miss, was that, Miss, that was Mississippi he plays for. Old Miss, Miss yeah. yeah. Yeah, don't do anything stupid like that that will cost your team a victory. Um, we're going to switch it over to the NBA. Uh, last week we uh, gave you guys the uh, you know top ten of the NBA draft. And immediately, two days later, it was the start of the free agency period. Uh, it was a lot of moving and shaking going around. Um, Gordon Hayward opted out of his contract with the Celtics, and he became the new $40 million man for the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, they were able to get up out of Nicholas Batum's contract, uh, so they got Hayward. So that's considered by many an upgrade. Uh, for the Hornets, uh, we were talking about the Hornets, and basically, uh, you know, there was talk about maybe Russell Westbrook coming in, um, but it was Gordon Hayward instead. Uh, how do you feel that Gordon Hayward um, makes their team improve? Does he add what they need? Is he the missing piece, the consistent outside shooter that this team needs to open up everything else that they have going on with their young players? I think this is a I think this is a pretty – I'm on the optimism side. I know a lot of people are like, why the hell would the Hornets give Gordon Hayward $30 million, um, you know, after he missed a good chunk of the games with the Celtics. I mean, the gruesome injury in his first game in Boston Green and then uh, the injuries he had in the in the bubble. Um, yeah, but I really think that this was a, this was a good move for, for, uh, Gordon Hayward. And I think this is also a good move for the Hornets because it does give him, it does give him an all-star. He was getting at that all-star point before the shutdown and then he had the injuries in the bubble. I thought he was on his way to Indiana. I think a lot of people did because that's where he's from. He's from Indianapolis. His family's in Indianapolis. He went to school there and, you know, that was, it seemed like a lot, but money does talk. So, um, this was a big move by the Hornets. It was also a better move for the Hornets because it got rid of that ugly contract that Nicholas Batum had with the team. Um, he was due $27 million, but, you know, $27 million to sit on the bench was not really the best, <laughs> the best thing for the Hornets. It was great for him, though. Uh, he wasn't in the Hornets' plans, but I think, you know, James Borrego is going to have some fun with this rotation. I mean, you got uh, you got Rozier and Graham. You have Lamella Ball. You could even put Hayward maybe as a small ball four. So, if you put 
the, if you get a small ball lineup with those four, and then you just put you know Zeller or Biombo who resign with the team as well in the middle, maybe then you can possibly do something, especially if the three start to fall. And if uh, Hayward can, you know, get back to that two-way player that he was and get back when he's healthy, he's very effective. It's when he's, can he stay healthy? But I think the Hornets have one of the best medical staffs in the league. So I'm optimistic that this can work for this team. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting uh, going forward um, with the team, um, the makeup of the team. Uh, I, I'm i thinking that they would be probably much suited as a uh, running gun, up and down, up-tempo type squad, uh, considering that the shooting isn't going to be necessarily their strong suit, but they may be able to get out, run, um, get as many fast breaks and easy baskets as they can and kind of, you know, attack teams that way. That would maybe be a, a, a good way for them to, um, you know, be competitive early in the season until they can figure out a way to get everybody involved. So, yes, the Hornets are definitely going to be one of the uh, teams that are going to um, have a lot of interest uh, at the start of next season as um, – you know, these new additions and just how they play out. Um, Michael Jordan, Mitch Kupchak, uh, Carolina Connection, trying to put something together and uh, make the Hornets into a, a factor and a playoff team coming up next year, at least to get into that playing round where anything can happen, as we know. Um, Bam Adebayo and Brandon Ingram, they both signed max extensions to stay with the Heat and the Pelicans, respectively. So uh, both of those teams are signing and keeping their young uh, stalwarts in the fold. Uh, Bam Adebayo, definitely a revelation for uh, the Heat this year. I don't think a lot of people uh, really saw him making this big of an ascent uh, to the top of you know the NBA's young players. Uh, list, but he has definitely done that through his work uh, with the Heat and the bubble. And Brandon Ingram, um, you know, going to be you know Zion Williamson's running mate. Um, definitely uh, has flourished since he's been uh, with the Pelicans outside of LeBron's shadow with the Lakers. Um, starting to put on a little bit more mass uh, as far as body weight goes, and uh, you know, getting more consistent with his outside shot. Uh, and turning into kind of like a mini Kevin Durant almost uh, last year towards uh, the time that we got things shut down. The Pelicans were really starting to get things rolling. Uh, they were on the upswing. So it's going to be a lot of fun to see, um, you know, what Bam and uh, Brandon Ingram can do for their teams coming into next year now that they've, you know, kind of got some, you know, marked targets on their backs now with after these big contracts. Yeah, and also, also uh, Jason Tatum signed his max with the Celtics. Uh, Don Mitchell signed his max with the Jazz. So um, two young stars right there. They get to keep, you know, their two teams get to keep their young cornerstones. Um, and that was definitely priority for for uh, those teams as well. Uh, two of the best in that uh, 17 draft, uh, getting the extensions that they both deserve, too. 
DeMarcus Cousins. Remember him? He signs a one-year deal with the Houston Rockets. Uh, you know, he was um, a part of the Warriors, suffered that nasty Achilles injury, uh, was on their bench, um, played a handful of games, but then uh, got re-shut down once everything uh, went south. So he hasn't really played any meaningful basketball in almost two years. Um, seems like a move that they could have used last year, um, you know, before they uh, decided that they wanted to go into, you know, straight up small ball mode. Um, with the new regime coming in, new style of play, new coaching staff, new vision, uh, how do you see DeMarcus Cousins fitting in with Houston? Is he a starter or is he going to be a role player? I think he has to be a starter. I mean, you probably play limited minutes. That'll be up to what Steven Silas decides what to do uh, with uh, with this uh, rotation. Uh, I know there's been a lot of, you know, revolt and uncertainty with the Rockets, with uh, Westbrook and Harden, uh, especially Harden not really feeling uh, Tillman Fertitta and his uh, support for certain individuals, but um, I think what I think the Rockets of uh, their response was really, you know, like, look, we're willing to get uncomfortable, and we're not just gonna shift people, ship people out just for the sake of shift shipping people out. I don't know what I'm saying, shift, but uh, shipping people out, but they are willing to keep these guys they really still want to build a contender and they still want and i think you know if uh when healthy the marcus cousins is dominant he can shoot inside he can play inside out outside in and you know if that's going to be the question there can he stay healthy uh, much like how I alluded to the Hornets staff with Hayward, uh, the Rockets have a good medical staff as well. I mean, look at Eric Gordon and all the injuries he had in New Orleans. He goes to Houston, and he he's a whole new he was a whole new player when he got there. So if uh, if he can get that, you know, that rejuvenation back, then you know the Rockets could be still a formidable team in the West. That's what's up. That's what's up. Uh, in a shocking move, the sixth man of the year, Montrez Harold, has moved on from the Clippers, uh, really putting a dent in what was uh, you know, their biggest uh, weapon, which was their bench. And he signs a free agent deal with the Los Angeles Lakers. So the Lakers have been busy uh, in the offseason adding Dennis Schroeder now adding Montrez Harrell to the fold, uh, trying to defend their newly won championship. Um, this definitely hurts the Clippers in a big time way. Uh, Harrell was their energy guy. He was a you know a rebounder, defender, uh, garbage man type of guy. You know, straight hustle. Uh, he's probably like a better offensive minded Ben Wallace, uh, in my opinion. But he plays that same way. Just everything off of just determination and hustle and, and want to. So um, the Lakers definitely hurt the Clippers and improved their chances of going back-to-back -back or at least having back-to-back -back finals appearances. Uh, what? How do you see Montrez's Harrell, or 
what do you see his role being with the Lakers? Probably the same kind of same kind of role that six man like basically anchoring the second unit with uh with uh, Dennis Schroeder. Um you know, I think that he provides he does provide energy, provides that that um spark and much to my chagrin, you know, it's really not fun to watch the Lakers reload after winning a title, but uh, looking at what they've done in this uh, free agency, um, you look at what they, they like you said, got Schroeder, signed Harold, re-signed Marcus, Markeith Morris, I should say. Um, but it also says what is happening in across the hall in Clipperland because, you know, Doc leaves, you know, philosophical differences there. You get basically his protege and Ty Lue, and you get these reports of Kawhi Leonard, you know, having, you know, these special privileges and whatnot. So is it really, is it, is it not becoming a Kawhi problem? Um, and is it a Paul George problem? Uh, you know, the Clippers have a lot of chemistry issues that the Lakers didn't have last year, and I don't think the Lakers are going to have. You know, I think Montrezl Harrell saw what was going on with the Lakers and was like, hey, if I can get a ring – over here that I'm willing to do that. So um, I just think that I just think that, you know, the Lakers have basically, you know, they the Clippers came out trying to be the bullies, but the Lakers showed, you know, hey, this is our town. This is our place. You know, you're just you're you're forever going to be the secondary team to us. Right. Um, very interesting that you brought up the Clippers and maybe them having chemistry issues and maybe um, uh, Kawhi Leonard maybe dictating uh, a little bit more than he has in his previous situations and things are not uh, falling in place like we thought they would uh, with the Clippers and the talent that they have around him. So, um, you know, we've never really thought of Kawhi as kind of like a guy who would be, um, you know, suggesting who goes where and who who does what, but maybe he is, and it seems to be that, uh, you know, like you said, there's been some philosophical differences between uh, the management and the coaching, uh, so it would be very interesting to see how Ty Lu handles that. Um, he does have experience with coaching LeBron, so I'm pretty sure he will have to rely on all of that uh, experience on managing uh, egos and, and, and the chemistry of the team. He'll have to rely on that experience with this new Clipper team. Like you said, between Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, there seems to be a void of leadership. Uh, both of those guys are kind of, you know, your secondary 
um, guys when it comes to like being out front and being vocal as far as, um, you know, getting guys to step up and keeping guys and holding guys accountable. So maybe they could have used a, a Chris Paul on that team. Uh, somebody that would take over that leadership, be the bad cop uh, and hold everybody accountable. But yeah, the Clippers definitely need something. Um, uh, like someone like that in the fold right now, if Kawhi or Paul George, you know, don't want to assume that role as the two best players on the team. Yeah, and I think, I think uh, it's going to be very interesting. I do know that one, one good thing off the Clippers bench that did uh, that did work in their favor was. Uh, Marcus uh, Marcus Morris uh, staying in L.A. Uh, with the Clippers. So the Morris twins, both in L.A., um, you know, playing for different teams, but uh, they're both staying in L.A. And it will be very, uh, you know, very interesting to see how the Clippers can uh, retool because it's hard to find a man to replace as the sixth man of the year. Right. Definitely. Right. Lou Williams is getting older. They lost Austin Rivers as well to the Knicks. So, yeah, the Clippers have gone through a lot of changes uh, since we saw them uh, exiting the bubble after their loss to the uh, the Nuggets in the playoffs. Um, this is Know the Score. I'm your host, Don DeLorente. I'm joined by my co-host, the Libra Icon. Uh, we're about to change over to talk about the NFL this week that just passed. Uh, we'll start off with Joe Burrow suffering a major knee injury towards ACL, his MCL, and he had other uh, structural damage to his left knee in uh, the Bengals' 20-9 loss to my Washington football team. Um, saw a ground-level, slow-motion, up-close uh, look at the play, and yet you can actually see his uh, his knee pop out. It's pretty, pretty significant. Um, I'm going to tell you this. Joe Burrow is the real deal, y'all. The kid was dealing. He had Washington's defense on the ropes. Uh, The Bengals came in with a lot of respect for Washington's defensive line, so they were doing a bunch of short passing game stuff, Uh, three five-step drops. He was getting the ball out quick. Uh, He had 21 completions in the first half, uh, the most completions for anybody this year and a half. Um, He had his team down in the red zone three different times. Um, They scored a touchdown. They missed two field goals and the extra point. So, um, you know, definitely he impressed me. Didn't take long for me to look at him and go, yes, this dude is going to be the truth. Unfortunate that he did get hurt and his rookie year is going to be cut short and he's going to have to go through such grueling rehab. I don't know how that's going to affect him mentally because, you know, quarterbacks and knee injuries, um, they have a lot of problems getting used to people being around their feet, being around their knees. Um, you know, it takes them a year or two to kind of get that confidence back that they're going to be all right if somebody comes in low. Um, so just your thoughts on Joe Burrow now, um, you know, being sidelined for the year and, uh, you know, uh, nine games, ten games into his rookie campaign. Yeah, this was – I, I was watching Red Zone, and I saw the 
replay of it, and yeah, it was it was gruesome. Um, and and this was uh, definitely unfortunate. He was definitely on his way to uh, winning Rookie of the Year. Uh, he definitely, like you said, he is he is the truth. He is gonna he's gonna make that Cincinnati Bengals uh, franchise uh, relevant again. Um, and you know he was he was dealing, and I think that you know one you know always one of those moments that uh, changes the whole game. Um, you know that was definitely one of those moments. Uh, you know that continuity didn't happen when uh, Ryan Finley came into the game. Uh, for Cincinnati, uh, I think that really helped Washington out. Uh, I think also that this was definitely, you know, the re like you said, the rehab process is going to be one of those things where it's uh, grueling, but you know the. The determination and the uh, confidence that Joe Burrow uh, exudes, you know, even like he knew he was, he knew he was done for the season when, when he uh, was carted off and went, you know, was getting evaluated. He knew that, you know, see you next year. He knew he wasn't coming back, and I think that that in itself says, hey. I'm going to be back. I want to be better. And I'm going to be, you know, ready to go. And I, I will definitely be ready for whatever I have to do to get back healthy, get back 100%. You know, but I'm just glad that he still has that confidence, even in the pain. And, you know, it may not happen. He may not, you know, get back by opening weekend of next season, uh, but he's going to be back. And, you know, you might see a few wins to close out the season. And then I think in maybe 22, you know, we can see Cincinnati really making some noise if they make the right moves. Yeah, they're gonna definitely have to uh, try to figure out some something with their offensive line. It's not like they haven't tried. They've drafted offensive linemen in like the last four drafts. They just haven't. Um, I guess they're just. I guess we're gonna have, maybe have to change their coaching. Um, something is not resonating uh, with the people and the interest that they've tried to bring in to their offensive line to improve it. Um, so again, hopefully Joe Burrow comes back you know, better than ever with a more improved offensive line. And uh, Cincinnati really isn't that far away. Uh, They've got to make some improvements on defense, but it looks like offensively um, they've got a lot of pieces in place, young pieces in place. T. Higgins uh, was having an excellent rookie year. Him and Joe Burrow seemed to have a a really good connection, Uh, seemed to come at the expense of A.J. Green, who caught his first touchdown pass of the year in this game. Um, Maybe they can – 
trade A.J. Green uh, for some offensive line help or some de- defensive help at this point in his career. Let him have a chance to play for a Super Bowl contender in the twilight of his career and uh, also make their team uh, a little bit better at the same time as well. So there's a lot of moves that uh, the Bengals can make going forward that can improve their team in the long run and get them uh, closer to contention uh, in a shorter amount of time. Um, In a battle for first place in the NFC West on Thursday night football, the Seahawks avenged their earlier overtime loss and defeated the Arizona Cardinals. Very good game. Uh, Seattle's defense actually came up with the biggest play of the game, that much maligned defense. They got an interception off of uh, Kyler Murray late when they were driving for the winning touchdown. So Seattle, behind Russell Wilson again, puts them on their back, gets them into, um, at the time, first place in the toughest division in football, the NFC West. Uh, Really a setback for the Cardinals. This was kind of their, you know, national TV moment for everybody to see, uh, you know, how much they had improved throughout this year so far. Are they ready to take that next step into the upper echelon of the elite conversation in the NFC? And uh, they still got a little bit of work to do, uh, the Cardinals do, but I still expect them to make the playoffs and be a headache for whoever draws them, uh, having that, you know, short time to prepare for someone like Kyler Murray. Yeah, this was a definite disappointment uh, from Arizona, but it, it's also a learning experience. You know, you gotta, you know, these games, short week, you know, gotta still be prepared, but uh, give credit to CL's defense. They made, you know, have made many plays this season, but they made, you know, some big plays that allowed them to get the win. I think that they have a little more, uh, you know, work to do on the offensive side. But uh, this NFC West, it's going to be a fight to the finish. Uh, and I can't wait to see how it plays out. Uh, with the way, you know, with the seven teams, uh, the Cardinals still have a great shot at it. And like you said, I think that, you know, they will be – they're not going to be an easy out. They're not going to go away easy. Now when you have a dynamic player like Kyler Murray and then also you have uh, two of the best receivers, you know, one of the best of all time in fits and, you know, one of the best uh, right now, DeAndre Hopkins as well. So um, Cardinals aren't going anywhere. Uh, hopefully they can bounce back from this and, uh, you know, make some noise in the playoffs, which I think they'll do as well. The Tennessee Titans, who have been reeling over the past few weeks, they got back on track as they defeated the Ravens 30-27 to in overtime. So the Ravens have now all of a sudden hit a stumbling block. A uh, lot of finger pointing and um, just questions going on with the coaching staff offensively. Um, They did put up 27 points in this game, so I don't think it was really the offense that was uh, an issue here, but it seems like the defense 
has regressed in the last couple of weeks. They can't seem to hold leads in games that they've been winning uh, the last few weeks. So right now the Ravens are on the outside looking in when it comes to the playoff race. Um, just a lot of things are swirling around the Ravens. Um, who do you think is the fall guy? Do you think that Greg Roman is going to be the person who gets blamed for all the issues and he's going to be the person who's going to have to, um, you know, sacrifice his job for the greater good? Yes, that's what I was referencing. I like it. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, it's definitely not going to be John Harbaugh. So we know that's not going to happen. It's not going to be Lamar Jackson, obviously. Um, so, yeah, someone's going to be the sacrificial lamb here. Uh, it'll probably be uh, Greg Roman. I mean, you got a first... You have a first-round pick in Hollywood Brown. You're not utilizing them all that great. Uh, they have another receiver that they drafted who's not being used all that great either. Um, you know, the throws outside are just aren't happening at all. Um, it's really just this offense is stagnant. They're really, really stagnant. And, and um, it's really just a... It's disappointing, especially considering how successful, you know, how successful. I'm not going to say the offense, how successful this team has been. I think, you know, when the offense is sputtering like that, you know, complimentary football doesn't really happen all that much. And the defense is not happy. And I think, you know, now that the defense is starting to regress and, and this is where the Ravens are having, you know, the problems that they're having. And, you know, credit the Titans. I mean, A.J. Brown, who's, I think, been the real Brown in this situation, um, you know, that touchdown that he had to tie the game, um, well, to put the Titans ahead at the time, I should say, uh, the field goal ended up sending it to overtime, but um, I really think that the Titans have a lot of they, they, they're they adjusting, and then I think also with the Ravens, um, they've had some COVID tests, which right. caused the NFL to push the Thanksgiving night game back to Sunday. Right. Um, and that of course that really left a lot of the Steelers players pissed off because this is the second time that a team has <laughs> altered their schedule because of COVID. And ironically, it was a team that the Ravens beat. So I wonder if the Ravens got it from the Titans who are disclosing anything. So you see what I'm getting at here. So, um, so yeah, but there's a lot of things that, need to be done in Baltimore. Greg Roman probably will be the fall guy uh, because, like I said, it ain't going to be Harbaugh. It ain't going to be Jackson. It's not going to be any of the position players. Trade deadline's passed. And so, yeah, Greg Roman might be the sacrificial lamb in this situation. The Chiefs 
man, they snatched victory from the jaws of defeat in the last minutes of the game as the Raiders, uh, they had a drive uh, within the last four minutes of the game to take the lead, but they left Patrick Mahomes too much time over two minutes and 30 seconds to get the ball and go back down the other end. Uh, the Chiefs scored a touchdown uh, to win that game, 35-31. Derek Carr uh, had his career-defining win snatched away from him by Patrick Mahomes. Um, the kid is just amazing. Um, I don't know what you can say if you saw that game, uh, especially uh, it was kind of like a basketball game. The Raiders scored, the Chiefs scored. The Raiders scored, the Chiefs scored. The Raiders scored, the Chiefs scored. And it's basically who had the ball last, and Patrick had the ball uh, second to last. They only left the Raiders with about 16 seconds left. Derek Carr tries to throw a deep one up to Ruggs, doesn't get it out there far enough to him, throws an interception, and that pretty much ends the game. But uh, I was very impressed by the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, they have figured out uh, something that nobody else has, and they've consistently gotten to Patrick Mahomes and made him struggle uh, up until those last two drives in the fourth quarter. He had been kind of pedestrian in this game. Um, I, what I saw was that they were doing a lot of zone blitzing and overload blitzing, um, coming right up the middle, trying to um, get immediate pressure in Patrick Mahomes' face. Um, the only thing that they didn't do was they didn't contain him in the pocket. They flushed him out and let him make some plays outside of the pocket like that uh, game-winning touchdown. Um Looked like he was going to scramble. They had a couple of guys suck up, and then at the last second, he throws a dart to a wide open Travis Kelsey in the end zone. Um, but I, what was up with that coverage? Well, if you look at it, um, the guy who was on, who was closest to Kelsey, saw Patrick Mahomes coming up to run and took like three big steps up to try to like cut him off thinking he was going to pass the line of scrimmage. And as soon as he committed, Patrick Mahomes lollipop the ball right over his head. Yeah, that kind of explains it. Cause just looking at the picture, just like there's no reason why uh, <laughs> one of the best titles in the game should have been that wide open, that but wide that open. doesn't make sense. Right. <laughs> yeah. But that makes sense though. Cause it's kind of like a double-edged sword. Do you, you do you uh, stay on him, let Mahomes run free, or do you try to get to him? And of course, with the with the uh, arm and accuracy, it does make a difference. Um, yeah, this game was this game was the definition of uh, yo-yo, kind of like a back and forth. You know, one serve from a tennis match and you know, keep continuously hitting the ball back and forth uh, with the offense here. But I think that at the end of the day, uh, you know, the, we did see the greatest of Patrick Mahomes, but I think we, like you said too, and I think Carolina emulated what the Raiders did at Arrowhead and they got Patrick Mahomes off his game but they didn't do it enough. And I think that's what happened with the Raiders this time as well. They didn't, they didn't do what they did at Arrowhead. They got him off his game, but it was not enough to, you know, get them to win this go around. So whatever 
intensity that they had, I think towards the end, they just didn't work out in Vegas. But yeah, the Raiders are a great team. Uh, they are, they are like definitely one of the um, one of the teams to watch out for. I really wish they could catch the Chiefs because um, you know, anytime you see, anytime you get a game in that stadium. It's so much fun to watch because that stadium is such it's such a palace, and so it's always fun to watch a Raiders game. Much better watching it in Allegiant Stadium than it was in Oakland. <laughs> the Green Bay Packers they blow a two touchdown lead and they lose to the Indianapolis Colts in overtime, thirty four to thirty one. Phillip Rivers and the Indianapolis Colts defense did a complete 180 in the second half of this game. Really made the Packers uh, look pedestrian on offense after in the first half they were doing anything that they wanted to do. Uh, so give a big shout out to uh, Frank Wright and, uh, and and Chris Ballard for getting the Colts back into contention. Um, they've really improved on defense. They were one of the worst defenses uh, two years ago. Uh, now they're like the number one defense uh, statistically when it comes to yards allowed in the NFL. They're really fast on defense. I mean, they followed up this uh, performance, uh, their performance against the Titans last week with the second half performance against the Packers. So I want to ask you, are the Colts a Super Bowl contender at the AFC? I'm not gonna. They're they're a contender. They they it's gonna be tough uh, with the Colts because they're hard to figure out. And when I say they're hard to figure out, I'm wondering how much you know Frank Reich has really kind of been the quarterback whisperer. Uh, the thing you see the. Uh, what he did with, I mean, the success he had Carson once landed him the Colts job. The uh, he had Andrew Luck uh, for a little bit of time. He had uh, Jacoby Brissett, who was very effective, but you know, Phillip Rivers was an upgrade. And I think Phillip Rivers had one of his better seasons, but Phillip Rivers does make those Romo. I always called him Romo West because he was always the West Coast version of Romo. Uh, when Romo throws untimely interceptions, Phillip Rivers is always known for an untimely interception. So I'm not – I like what Frank Reich has done with Phillip Rivers, but I'm not confident enough to – I'm not confident enough in Rivers just yet to put him – put the Colts at the Super Bowl contenders list, if that's fair to say. I think that there's still some work on that offensive side that needs to be done. The defense, which has been their problem for many, many years, is no longer an issue. Uh, The adjustments they made on defense has really showed up in the second half of that game against uh, Green Bay because, 
you don't really see the Green Bay Packers lose a lead that much under Aaron Rodgers. Like, it does not happen. Usually Aaron Rodgers can find some kind of way to get points on the board in response, whether it's just a field goal or a touchdown. But I think this time around, it was just a situation where he could not get the job done. But I like what Green Bay I like what Green Bay still is able to do in this game. They had a great first half, but just great adjustments. But I think the Colts just have a little bit more work to do to convince me to be a contender. The one thing that Frank Wright has done um, to help Phillip Rivers is um, he's got Phillip Rivers throwing the ball a lot shorter. Um, Phillip Rivers is averaging the less, the least amount of yards uh, per air attempt uh, his whole career so far. Um, just making his throws shorter, getting the ball out quick so he's not taking sacks, and uh, just, you know, uh, making the easy plays. He's not having him force the ball down the field uh, like he would do when he was playing with the Chargers. So uh, new Phillip Rivers, um, better, more efficient Phillip Rivers, and uh, it's leading the Colts to, you know, coming back into – uh, the upper echelon of the AFC. Like you said, Frank Wright, definitely um, maybe he was the man behind the success of Carson Wentz. So we've seen him regress uh, as more time has passed since their relationship uh, was broken up with uh, Wright going over to the Colts to be the head coach. Um, it's I'm really, really, really intrigued by their defense, the speed that they have on defense. Um, they're really good against the run. Um, they had one of the worst offensive lines three years ago. Now they've got one of the best offensive lines uh, in the league. So the Colts have definitely done a great job uh, after the gut punch of uh, Andrew Luck retiring uh, and rebuilding their team and getting themselves back into being a contender and not going through a long rebuild process. The Pittsburgh Steelers, they remain undefeated with a win over the Jacksonville Jaguars, 27 to three. You know, everybody thought that this was maybe going to be a, a trap game uh, just because of the, what we thought would be the pending Thanksgiving game against the rate, the Ravens, the rivalry game. Um, but no, the Steelers went down to Jacksonville. Um, they handled their business um, handedly uh, over the Jaguars. So, Mike Tomlin is definitely going to be uh, pressing these boys to keep it up because uh, this year there's only one bye and they are only one game in front of the Chiefs. And so um, I really think that the next few weeks, the Steelers have a real good chance to get to at least 12-0 and because they're going to play the Ravens who are coming off of being ravaged by COVID and just not playing well in a turmoil. Then they're going to play Washington which I don't think is going to be able to pull a dramatic upset, even though they're playing a little bit better as a football team. Uh, so 12-0 and is definitely going to be within their grasp, and then we'll see how they can finish out the season against their division. Um, anything that you would like to comment on the Steelers, anything that you see from them that's got you very impressed or maybe a chink in their armor that you see that somebody can exploit and give them their first loss? I don't see much on the defensive side that could uh, 
give them a give them a uh, let's give other teams an offensive edge. I think you know they're very they're very um, stout on that defensive side. Um, the offensive the offense has been flowing really well. And I think it. I think it's one of those situations. Uh, I did see some. If you bump them off the, if you bump them off their routes just enough, it messes up the timing. I mean, that's with any team, but it really does come into play with uh, this team. But um, I just think that they just the schedule just favors them right now and and with the schedule favoring them it's really their best i think their best um, opportunity you know for a loss would be buffalo but um we have to see uh, and like like you said there's only one bye so and with Kansas City like right there you got to keep playing and you got to keep going. So, um, and basically they ended up forcing the Jaguars to start Mike Lennon, who hasn't started a game in three years. So, yeah. Really, uh, Gardner Minshew, uh, he's been hurt. Then they went to Jake Luton. And uh, he had a couple of decent games there. But, I mean, you know, that Pittsburgh defense, especially against a rookie quarterback, inexperienced quarterback, man, it's going to eat you up. And then Jay Gruden's offense is really not that good to go against the uh, 3-4 defense in the first place. So it's just kind of a mismatch all the way around. So, yeah, so Mike Lennon uh, is going to get his first start coming up here uh, next week for the Jaguars. So it'll be interesting to see how he looks after, um, you know, he thought he was going to be the man in Tampa Bay. And then they changed course on him uh, after he signed a big deal uh, a couple of years ago. Um, Jaguars, a very curious team um, right there on the cusp of the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. I uh, thought they made an upgraded quarterback getting Nick Foles, and it did not turn out that way. And nothing's been the same since for them. Uh, so who knew? Is that um, who was their quarterback? I almost said Blaine Gabbert, but it's not Blaine Gabbert. Uh, who was the Jaguars' old quarterback? Uh, Jaguars' old quarterback. That was who was it? Um, I want to check that out real quick. Yeah, because yeah, the Blaine Gabbert that was definitely a bust, but. Uh, if I look at Jaguars starting quarterbacks, oh man, I can't remember. I can't believe I can't remember who I see. I see him playing on the field, but I can't think of his name. Um, um, but anyway, uh, maybe he wasn't as bad as you know we all made him out to be. Maybe he was a lot better. At you know sometimes. You have to have the t- a quarterback that's good for your team. He may not be good like Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins yeah. may not have been the quarterback for everybody's team, but he was a good quarterback for Washington. You know what I mean? He was. And, you know, it may not translate as well in Minnesota, but for Washington, it was definitely the guy that, you know, that they needed for their team. So, um, well, we figure. 
I want to figure that out because I want to know. <laughs> yeah, I can't believe I can't think of his name to somebody right now and listen to this podcast that is just screaming his name out. It's like, I can't believe I forgot about him. But uh, yeah. Blake Bortles? Blake Bortles. There you go. There, there you it go. is. There you go. Maybe Blake Bortles wasn't as bad as we thought uh, because uh, he had them on the cusp of the uh, Super Bowl a couple of years ago. They had a shot to beat the uh, the Patriots in New England, came up just a bit short, and that was the last time the Jaguars have, you know, really been relevant. Um so, you know, like I said, maybe Blake Bortles was actually the quarterback that was for the Jaguars. That was a fit for their team, their style of play, uh, more than they uh, actually thought at the time. Uh, next up, the Los Angeles Rams. They defeated Tom Brady and the Buccaneers on the road 27-24. to uh, Jarrett Goff, three touchdowns over 300 yards. Robert Woods, over 10 catches, touchdown. Um the Bucks defense has been on a slide ever since those couple of weeks after they uh, demolished Green Bay. Um, they they've kind of regressed. The offense here still looking a little out of sorts at times for the Bucks, trying to work in Antonio Brown to the mix. Um, just a lot of moving parts. Sometimes Tom Brady looks really good. Sometimes Tom Brady looks really bad. Just depends on what series it is. It almost seems like. Um, their offensive line is a little leaky, so he's getting a lot more pressure than we're used to seeing Tom Brady have. Um, but I was really impressed about Sean McVay and the Rams. Um, McVay, he actually cashed in. They scored a lot of t- they scored uh, three touchdowns in the red zone, which is usually not what McVay does because he doesn't attack the end zone when he gets to the red zone. But they were real efficient, and uh, Jared Goff played a hell of a game against a really good. Uh, pass defense yeah I think this was a shocker for me in terms of how bad the Bucks defense was looking but uh, I also this was also a game for revenge in a sense because Rams get the seat and because of what happened in the Super Bowl a couple years ago yeah. And because of that as well, because of that, I think they were much more motivated to uh, get this game, get to this game. Um, yeah, I, the Bucks have been, you know, struggling. They they got that big win in Carolina. They had the big win uh, against Green Bay, but it seems like when they take on other teams, in a sense, um, like the Saints and in this case the Rams, they kind of struggle. And and um, and Tom Brady is not a good sport um, <laughs> whatsoever. <laughs> like he'll shake your hand when he wins, but he runs off the field. Very, very quiet. Uh, very, very fast when when they lose. So uh, that was definitely noticed <laughs> uh, heavily as well. Uh, I think this the Bucks are they're one of those enigmatic teams, and you just don't know what you're going to get from. Them. You don't know if you're going to get you know good 
Tampa Bay or if you're going to get bad Tampa Bay. Um, so I don't, I can't really make of this team. I mean, they, you know, that was a blow to them in trying to catch the Saints for the NFC South. Um, that definitely helps the Rams in the NFC West as well as gives them the tiebreaker in any playoff uh, scenarios as well. Yeah, the Rams are going to be right in the mix now uh, for that NFC West uh, division title uh, with this win over the Bucks. Um, can they kind of string a few more wins together, uh, get the wins in their division that they need? Um, they have a game against Arizona coming up that they really need to win uh, to keep uh, pace with Seattle going forward. And so uh, it'll be interesting to see if golf can keep this uh, high level of play up and, um, you know, their defense can continue to play at the level that they've been playing at. And our last NFL note will be for my co-host, the Libra icon as the fighting PJ walkers known as the Carolina Panthers shut out the lions 20 to nothing in PJ walkers NFL debut first career start uh, PJ Walker of XFL fame uh, from earlier in the year um, looked pretty decent had a couple of uh, a couple of throws he liked to have back two interceptions one was really bad one not so bad but he threw a nice touchdown pass and uh, ran the show efficiently proved that he could play in the NFL directing offense and the Panthers young defense stepped up harassed Matthew Stafford all day shut down the Lions running game and blanked them. I was very, very shocked and impressed. Um, this was definitely a much needed win after that debacle the week before. Um, to go from giving up 46 and a 98 yard touchdown to stifling uh, a, a very good quarterback in Matthew Stafford and, uh, you know, Hall of Fame running back in their running game as well. So, um, Peter Walker looked really good. Uh, of course, Teddy B was out, but I was really, he, the touchdown pass was a nice down to Curtis Samuel. He had another nice pass to DJ Moore in this game. I also thought that uh, they responded to, you know, the the challenges and the frustrations from Shaq Thompson. Uh, he's really emerging as a leader of this defense. And Shaq really just said, I'm just trying to follow what uh, Luke Heakley and Thomas Davis did for me, for these young guys. And they responded very well uh, to to this uh to this win. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's great for PJ. You know, cut thir- cut 12 times by different NFL teams. You know, was running the show in Houston in the XFL before COVID wrecked the season. Um, and, and then getting the opportunity again, uh, reuniting with Matt Rule in Carolina. He played for my temple. Uh, just a great, I think, just uh, what, it, what I saw in the XFL. Um, you know, that was some fun games. Like, the Houston games were 
really fun to watch. Um, and they really contributed to that quality uh, football, I think, you know, with that opportunity. If it went for the those five five wins for Houston, uh, P.J. Walker wouldn't be here right now. So, um, and ironic, and one of his teammates, Kenny Robinson, who plays for the Panthers, um, was in the XFL as well in St. Louis. So the XFL really did a few uh, great things there. Unfortunately, the pandemic uh, wrecked the season. But you know, with with this revival coming in twenty twenty two, it will be it'll be fun to see if we can find another another start from that league. Yeah, very impressed by P.J. Walker. He definitely, um, if he doesn't stick with Carolina uh, after this year, uh, he'll definitely be able to uh, latch on with another uh, NFL team after uh, that performance. Um, Glad for him. Glad uh, that someone uh, from the XFL that got a shot to shine in such a big spotlight as quarterback could uh could could do so well so um definitely happy for bj walker and definitely shocked uh that the lions didn't show up and uh and prevent and present more of a challenge uh for the panthers especially with that young secondary and that young defense i thought that maybe um with the weapons that stafford had that they would be able to you know make some things happen down the field on the outside but uh no that wasn't the case so the panthers are definitely getting better and um they are and they are because also because a lot of these losses like you know aside from the two tampa bay losses they've been one position game so um this defense has learned a lot quick a lot quicker than than uh, usual i think they lost a k1 short for the season has really uh, change the defense a lot. I think Brian Burns may have more sacks. Uh, Derek Brown has been forced to grow up a lot quicker. Um, but yeah, this is a a team that went all defense in the draft. Uh, looked like a, what are you doing kind of moment at the time, but uh, the divot, the return is the return has been pretty great for, for this team. All right, so now at this time, Mr. Dwayne Libra Icon, I'm going to turn it over to you for your final thoughts and shout-outs and thank yous. All right, so uh, great. Once again, a great show. Thank you, Don, as always. Uh, thank you to all the listeners. Uh, Shout-out to The Push. Uh, we got another episode coming, recorded this week. Uh, we're going to touch on the legacy of the undertaker so can't wait for that uh, we're gonna have our favorite taker moments and not so favorite taker moments so uh stay tuned for that um i gotta say thank you to um also say thank you to um you know all the Hospital workers, all the frontline workers, as the COVID cases are going um, out of control. Um, 
uh, shout out to all the workers that are trying to do their best to keep us safe, to keep fighting this. Um, you guys are really the top dogs, uh, the real, the real MVPs here. So thank you for that. Uh, my final thought would have to uh, go to the. Um, I want to have a funny one. It's, uh, it involves the New York Mets and and uh, our brand new owner, Steve Cohen. So basically, uh, there was a question from I think it was either Billboard or the AMAs uh, about Jennifer Lopez, and there was like, "Is there anything Jennifer Lopez cannot do?" And one of our one of the Mets fans was like, "Well, Steve Cohen, do you have anything in mind?" And he's like, "It was a certain little team from New York." So basically, he was basically alluding to the fact that he beat out Jennifer Lopez for the bid for the Mets, um, I, which was very funny. I'm really, really all in on. Uh, what Steve Cohen's got going on. The fan base is rejuvenated. Uh, can't wait to see what happens with these uh, winter meetings and free agency. Um, possibly get somebody uh, to come to New York. Um, Sandy Alderson's back in the fold um, running the show. So. A lot of optimism, um, as usual. You know, ain't a, you're not a Mets fan if you don't have optimism in the offseason. So, and that optimism turns into pessimism. But uh, it's a little different this go around versus the Wilpon years. So, I really can't wait to see what happens. Uh, it's really different to have an owner who's who wants to be you know, a part of the team and actually cares about the product and cares about his staff, his personnel and all that too. All right. Thank you for joining me once again, Dwayne, for another edition of the score. Definitely appreciate you spending some time with me each and every week to uh, review what happens in the world of sports. Um, my final thoughts would just be two of them. College basketball uh, starts this uh, week, uh, actually today, had a bunch of games, uh, and then uh, this weekend there's a big game, uh, Kansas and Gonzaga uh, facing off. Uh, yeah. Probably the most premier matchup of the uh, first uh, weekend of college basketball. So uh, definitely uh, looking forward to that and what the college basketball season uh, has to offer. Hopefully we can get through the whole thing this year. Where last year, uh, you know, we got robbed of the tournament. Uh, the NCAA has already said they're going to hold the NCAA tournament in a bubble type situation in Indianapolis uh, if we can get that far. So they definitely want to make the tournament happen this year. So that's one of my thoughts. And then my second thought will be uh, a rest in peace to Diego Maradona, uh, maybe considered one of the best two living soccer players, uh, him and Pele. Uh, you know, one and two in, you know, whatever order you want to put them in. Um, you know, Argentina national team, uh, great, known for the World Cup, uh, the hand of God and the goal of the century, uh, scored in the same World Cup. Um, just, uh, you know, Argentina's favorite son, the guy that Lionel Messi basically has been chasing his whole career. 
as far as a national player for Argentina. Uh, he passed away age 60. Uh, I think most people wouldn't know him in his later age for being, you know, the guy a little overweight, gray in his beard, you know, has some drug issues here and there. But um, just a great, great, great soccer player. Uh, inspired so many people around the world to try the game of soccer, watch the game of soccer. He entertained so many people and uh, is definitely going to be a great loss to the game of soccer uh, going forward. So uh, just shout out and rest in peace to Diego Maradona. So for my co-host, the Libra icon, I'm your host, Don DeLorente. And now you know the score.